be here, uh, make the trip up from Springfield this morning. I am really glad the weather was not bad like I thought it was going to be. My wife's like, should you call him and maybe make different plans? I'm like, no, I think God's going to come through for it. So um, really glad to be here. Um, Joe has become a, uh, uh, a friend over the last, I don't know, year or so. We've been kind of talking and, and uh, so really thrilled just to get to know your pastor uh, and the heart that he has for people, the heart that he has for this community, uh, the heart that he has for the gospel and seeing all those dots connect. So you guys got a good man here. Um, so, and, and we look forward to growing uh, this work of safe families that we're doing throughout this whole area. L- let, me, let me just give you a, a little bit on me, and then we'll jump into this, just so you know who's talking to you today. Um, so yeah, my name is Ryan Mobley. Uh, I help oversee the work of safe families uh, through Central and Southern Illinois. Um, so I work with lots of communities, lots of churches. Um, you know, so I go around doing this type of thing and and getting churches on board and people on board and just helping connect the dots to families and children who are in need, um, to people who just uh, can be family for them because they don't have any. Um, so that's, that's really the heart of what we're doing. Um, I know there's going to be an informational session afterwards uh, that I hope um, you guys can stay for. Uh, we actually have uh, some other special guests that have come in, um, some safe families, active safe families, volunteers. I'm not going to point them out now and embarrass them all, um, but they'll be hanging around with us afterwards. You'll be able to ask questions to them, and I'm going to make them talk um, to just share their testimony a little bit so you can just kind of see what it looks like in real life um, is really kind of where we're going with this. So, But today what I want to do is open up God's Word together and really see why we should be doing work like this. Why should we be doing ministry like safe families? So that, that's really kind of where we're going today. So I'm going to invite you to grab a Bible, um, whether you have one you can flip to or whether you have one on your phone that you can click to, um, and open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 12 through 19, uh, as we launch into this day, I'm going to ask you all to stand up. I don't know what your practice usually is here, but I like to have people stand when we open up God's Word. So let's do that, and let's read together. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 19 says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace." and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer aliens and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God." Is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's pray uh, before we jump in. Father God, we are so thankful to be here. 
Thank you for making us part of your family, Lord. Thank you for the gift of your word that, that you give us. Thank you for the season that we're in, that we get to talk about things of peace and hope and joy, uh, and not just how that makes us feel, but what that motivates us to do. So, Father, I just pray that your spirit teaches us now, that, uh, that it illuminates the word in our lives, um, that we leave this place different, that we leave this place eager to be your hands and feet to a world in need of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys grab a seat. So, Safe Families for Children is, like I said, generally a ministry that mobilizes the local church to help families who are vulnerable in their community. And we have two main principles that we build Safe Families on. The first one is compassion. Uh, And the second one is the idea of biblical hospitality. That's what we're going to spend most of our time on today is talking about biblical hospitality. We got the, is a PowerPoint up and running? Fantastic. So I'm going to put some pictures up on the, on the screen that, you can, that I think come to our minds in our culture most often when we hear this term hospitality. The first picture is this one. Um, where is she? There she is. Is our, you know, our dear friend Martha Stewart, right? When we think of hospitality, we, we, we think of Martha and we think about all her perfectly you know, folded napkins and her perfect presentations and, and those kinds of things. So, you know, so I think she's an image that a lot of people have come to mind. Or this next image is this, is just the whole idea of holiday entertaining. Holiday entertaining, right? How many people hosted um, Thanksgiving this year? Either for your family, for your friends, okay. Um, or how many people are going to be hosting Christmas bringing people into your house. Okay. Yeah, uh, we, we host Thanksgiving every year at my house, and my children uh, call it the Thanksgiving for the strays uh, because everyone who doesn't have a place to go comes to our house. Okay, so we had like 20 people at our house. You know, more than half of us weren't related kind of a thing. And uh, I'll tell you what, it was beautiful. It was great. We loved it. Um, and it was exhausting, right? Amen? When you host a lot of people, you do holiday, and you were like, breaking out the dishes you never eat on, you're cooking food that you only make one time a year, you know, you're putting out, you know, uh, table settings, and you're trying to teach your kids how to set a table, and they're like, why do the fork and knife have to go there? I don't get it. You know, I mean, all that kind of a thing, you know, um, but really, that's more like, really, when we think about it, one reason why we're so tired at the end of it, because we just spend a lot of time entertaining everybody versus really being hospitable. The next picture is this, um, not to pick on anybody, but sometimes it's the greeter at the door of the church that we come in. We think, oh, that's, that's hospitality. It's someone, you know, they're shaking my hand. They're putting a piece of paper in my hand so I know what's going on today. Um, and we think that's hospitality. I do want to say, Joe, your church is very friendly. So I came in, I was, and I'll, that's a great thing. I was very pleased to be welcomed by a number of people being shown my way, all that kind of thing. So thank you for that. But that's just an aspect. It's not the full expression of hospitality, okay? Another form of hospitality is this next one. For those of you who maybe who travel for work or you go on vacations, when you think about the hospitality industry, this professionalized thing of where we go to a restaurant or we go to a hotel and we're waited on hands and hand and foot and there's mints on the pillows and then when we come home, all the husbands are mad at the wives because they make the bed but there's no mint on the pillow. There's supposed to be a mint on the pillow. That's hospitality, right? So we, we have this whole idea because of these professional things that hospitality almost becomes this unreachable 
um, standard that we face. You know, or, you know, this, this last one, too, um, is just really, you know, the church hospitality committee. I don't know if you guys have a church hospitality committee. If you do, I'm sorry if I'm offending you. But um, this is really just making cookies and punch for people after service is not what hospitality really is about. It's being welcoming. It's being kind. Okay, it's being those things, but none of these pictures I just showed you are the full expression of what the Bible means when it talks about biblical hospitality. Ancient hospitality, biblical hospitality is about this. It's about opening up our hearts, opening up our lives, and opening up our homes to those who are in need and who are vulnerable. When the Bible talks about the orphan, when the Bible talks about the widow, when the Bible talks about the sojourner or the alien, what the Bible is talking about, it's talking about those who are in need, those who are vulnerable. Not just those specific categories, but anyone who is vulnerable. Hospitality is about opening up our hearts and lives and homes to those folks. It was a key strategy for the church, for church growth over the first five centuries. The church exploded, okay, in the first five centuries of our existence. Just exploded because of this. This was a huge part of it. All the people who were getting shoved off to the, to the margins of society is the people that the church went after and loved and brought in. We remember the parable that Jesus said, right, about the wedding feast. None of the invited guests come, so he said, go to the highways, go to the hedges, compel them to come in. That's who the church was built on. That's how we kept going. You know, this is a reason, you know, when you look in our Bibles that being hospitable, you can take this picture off, by the way, um, just go to the next slide. Um, this is why when you read in the Bible that being hospitable is a requirement of church leadership because the church leaders are supposed to set the example for the rest of the body and how to live this way. It's, it's a key evangelism strategy. It's a key care strategy. What we seek to do is to mobilize the church to come alongside those who are vulnerable and desperate. And we do that through a network of compassionate volunteers to host them, to support them, to connect them to a place where they can find belonging. That is the heart of hospitality. And here's the thing. You know what? I put these pictures up. They're snapshots, right? You can't take a snapshot of hospitality. You can take a snapshot of entertaining. You can take a snapshot of a moment. But you can't take a snapshot of, of hospitality. You see, hospitality is a story to be told. Because it's people's lives coming together and intermingling together. A couple stories like this. You know, um, and these are real happening right now, by the way. Uh, a mom who is pregnant and needs to go to the hospital to have her child that she's actually um, making an adoption plan for. She's already parenting a six-year-old boy with Down syndrome. Um, 
And she just realized this is just too much for me to do, and so she is going to bless a family with a child. And the thing is, though, she doesn't have any support system in her life. She has to go to the hospital for a, few, you know, for a couple days and have a baby and deal with the emotion of that baby going to an adoptive family and, you know, and recover. And, well, but if she has no support, who, who really takes care of her? Who takes care of the six-year-old child for just a few days? Well, the church can do that. That's a story of hospitality that's about to happen. Um, another mom, single mom, three kids. Um, she had one of those moments where she came to her senses and she kicked out the abusive boyfriend that, that she was living with. Now, what that did, that had a financial impact on her, on her living situation. She has no support in her life. She's trying real hard to be a great mom. She just got a promotion at work, but she's trying to figure out now transportation and childcare and all these sorts of things. And she needs, she needs support. She needs people to help come alongside and mentor her, you know, and help her through just this rough patch to get her to this next, to this next point. So who helps a mom like that? Well, the church does. That story's happening right now. And I can go on and on and on and tell you story after story after story. My point is this. Hospitality is a story. It's relationships. It's not just a picture. I want you to think right now of a time that you've been in need. Because I'll tell you what, we all have. We may not have all been very vocal about it, but we've all been in need. When was there someone that opened up their life and home to you to help get you through a rough time? You just need someone just to walk with you through a a season. Have you ever been the recipient of hospitality? Has someone brought you into their life? Have you actually stayed in someone else's home? Because you had a need. Let me tell you my story real quick. Um, I I, I moved to central Illinois. I moved to Springfield uh, a little over 10 years ago uh, from Michigan. Um, Didn't grow up in Michigan. Grew up in Chicago, Cubs fan. I'm thrilled this year. Um, but I moved to Springfield about 10 years ago um, to plant a church. Started from the ground. Didn't know anybody. Kind of knew about four, five, six people is about it. And so we thought God called, you know, God called me and my family um, from Michigan to Springfield. We left a very strong relational support system where we were um, to, to nothing in a, in a town that, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out right? Uh, we have three kids at the time. Um, they were like first grade, kindergarten, and we had an almost one-year-old. My wife was pregnant with our fourth child. Like, we're packing our house in Michigan. Like, the week we're packing, right? And my wife says, you need to come in the kitchen. You need to sit down. I'm like, would you just tell me? I know what you're going to say, <laughs> so when do you do, right? So she's like, hey, I'm having a baby. I'm like, great, I have no job because um, we're going to plant a church. Um, so, yeah, that was my life. And so we moved to Springfield, um, and um, this, there, was a, there, was a, there was a church community that, that converted an old office space to their worship area, and they had this room on the other end of the building, that, a couple rooms that they turned into an apartment Okay, and so they said, hey, you could stay there for a little bit as you're trying to get settled in. So I had moved down, and my whole point, my whole goal, I had one job, right? Well, two jobs. One, find a place to live that wasn't that place. 
and find a part-time job for some supplemental income, right? So I'm working hard at those two things for a couple weeks, and my wife and my kids were driving around visiting in-laws and her parents and all that, and so she is driving to Springfield, and she's like, where am I going? You're supposed to have a place for us to live. Where am I going? I said, I'm working on it. It'll be another couple days, but you just have to come to this place for right now. She's like, okay. This was in the middle of July. This was one of those Julys, right, where it's like 110 degrees outside with like 3,000% humidity, right? I mean, you walk outside and you lose 20 pounds, like that. It was one of those Julys. So she gets there, and, you know, and she walks in, and she's like, huh, you want me and my babies to stay in this place? And, I mean, it was, the air conditioner was working so hard, there was like a soffit in the ceiling where some can lights were, and the the ductwork was sweating so bad, there was water dripping through these can lights in the ceiling. <laughs> she stayed one night there. And then, like, you know, we're coughing. There's who knows what's in the place. She's like, here's what you're going to do right now. You're going to call Dave and Michelle, who's a couple help planning us church, and you're, you're going to say, can we please come and stay with you for a couple days until the house opens up? And so I'm like, okay, yes, dear, I will do that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so I I called our good friends, Dave and Michelle. Um, When we were going to Springfield, they were the place that we landed and just stayed for a day here and a day there. I said, hey, we we can't stay here. Can we just come and crash at your place? And so they opened up their lives and hearts and homes to us for two or three days uh, while we were settling up, you know, moving someplace. We We were in need. We didn't know anybody. We didn't have any family around. We didn't really technically have a church body yet, right? And so, but we had these dear friends of ours that would become dear friends of ours that opened themselves up to us in, in our time of need. That's a picture of hospitality. Jesus said in Matthew 25, over a few verses, he, 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 he said this. He, he, he's telling a story, and he's talking about the time where everyone's going to come before the throne one day, Sheep will get put on the king's right. The goats will get put on the king's left. And he's going to say the ones on the right, one of the things he says to them, he says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And the sheep call back to him. And they say, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? And the king says, truly, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it unto me. There are some great verses on hospitality that tell us what to do, tell us you know, we should do it, um, t- tell us how we'll bring unexpected blessing into our lives and all that sort of thing. And, and those are they're great verses. They're true. They're true. What I don't want to do, though, is just give you those verses. Because if I just give you those verses and say, you know what, you're supposed to go do hospitality now. Find a family in need and go do hospitality. It's just someone twisting your arm. And it's the law getting shoved in your face. It's the doings, the deadly doings. What I want to do is just take a moment from the passage we read earlier in Ephesians and show you the heart of God and what he's done to us and for us, for us to now do that for others. The gospel motivation. Okay? You know, the the candle today is joy. You can't fulfill the commandments of God 
without understanding how Jesus ultimately fulfilled that commandment for you. You you can't just do the commandments of God with joy without having the right motivation in your hearts. Have it be a response of worship in your life. That's what I want to draw us to today. What is the gospel framework around biblical hospitality? It's not just because of what God said for us to do, but it's firstly because what God has already done to us and modeled to us. This is the story of hospitality that God himself has written in your life and mine. So here's the first one from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul reminds the Ephesians, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were alienated from the people of God. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in the world. Now, I don't know about you, but those are five things I don't want to describe me. Those are five really bad things to describe anybody. Who wants to be described as a stranger being alienated, having you know, no share of promise, having no hope and being without God? Who wants that? That's a terrible life, isn't it? But the truth is, that's every single one of us before Jesus comes in and invades our lives and rescues us from the pit. That was our reality. I don't know where you all are in this room. There might be some of you that aren't a believer yet. That's your reality right there, is Ephesians 2.12. You're in a mess that you need to get saved out of. That is what God has brought us out of for those of us who trust Jesus. And this is the reality of everyone who lives isolated, disconnected, crisis-filled lives. They feel like they're alienated. They feel like a stranger. They feel like they have no hope. They cry out to God, and they're like, where are you? I'm hurting here. Tragedy strikes these people, and they have nowhere to go. I get calls and talk to parents all the time who are just in tears and in just a mess and just feeling broken because what has happened is life is now squeezed in around them and they fear what could happen to them and their kids. They feel the isolation. They feel the lack of hope because the crisis is just squeezing in on them and they don't know where to go. There's no one there for them to trust. Here's the hope in this. The hope is God loves the stranger. He loves the stranger. He loves the sojourner. He loves the alien. He loves the least of these. He loves the vulnerable. And it's been evidenced throughout the history of mankind. There's a couple verses in the Old Testament that I just love with this. The first one is, I'm going to read them to you. Leviticus 25.35. Okay, you, this is law, mosaic law stuff going on here, right? Leviticus 25.35 says, If your brother becomes poor, if your brother becomes poor, and cannot maintain, maintain himself with you, you shall support him, as though he were a stranger 
and sojourner, and he shall live with you. Did you catch what that verse said? Did you catch what God said to his people? He said, listen, if your brother becomes poor, he didn't, he didn't say, remember, he's your brother, so take care of him. Did, he, did, did God say that in this verse? No. He, what did he say? He said, treat him like he's a stranger, like he's a sojourner. Have him live with you. Extend that type of hospitality to him. One thing God's doing in this verse is he's showing us the value that we should have in our lives for those who are vulnerable and in need. They need a family. We're to love them like family is what we're supposed to do. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says this. uh, In verses 18 and 19, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing, Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You see, God took his people out, right? The Exodus. You know, what's our Exodus? The cross, right? He saved us. We're supposed to remember what our life was like before we were saved, when we were in slaves, when we were in slavery, when we were slaves to our sin. That's what Paul did with the Ephesians in, in verse 12. Remember, at that time, you were once this. You were in a hot mess, And God, in his love, through his grace and mercy, came himself in Jesus to save us. We're supposed to, we need to keep a pretty humble spirit. Tell you what, Christians should be the most humble people walking around because we know the mess that we were in. It's not that we earned anything. We couldn't be good enough for God. He loved us anyway. Now, we're to love as we've been loved. And we need to remember And when we read verses like this in the Old Testament and we see these stories, we need to remember that the whole of the Old Testament points forward to the cross. All the commandments, all the ways, all it points to Jesus because he's the one that fulfilled them perfectly and makes the way for us to be able to be reunited with the Father. And that's what verse 13 does back in Ephesians chapter 2. It says now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the what? By the blood of Christ. You see what the law did temporarily, Jesus did permanently. Jesus' blood is the only thing that removes the sin barrier so that we can be welcomed in. We needed someone (coughs) outside of us to reach out and bring us in because we can't save ourselves because we're needy, because we're vulnerable. And the needy and the vulnerable in our world, you know, in our communities, they need someone to reach out to them and bring them in and give them a place to belong to help them believe. So Jesus brings us near. And I'm going to jump down actually to verse 19. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You see, when Jesus saves us, he shares his family position with us, with the Father. Our identity now through Christ is totally changed. We are now, we're no longer strangers and aliens. We're no longer separated. We're no longer without hope. We're no longer without God because what are we now in verse 19? We are now 
fellow citizens. We are now members of the household of God. We're not strangers anymore. We're friends. And even more so than that, we're family. Do you see what God has done? Do you see what biblical hospitality does? Biblical hospitality turns the stranger into family. That's an amazing truth. That is what God has done for you. He's made you his family. We live in a spiritual house in a kingdom. And guess who the king is? The king's our dad. How awesome is that? Here's the big idea. When you start putting all this stuff together, what God does to us, God desires to do through us. Okay? What God does to us, God desires to do through us. Play along with me this morning, okay? Let's say that together. Ready? What God does to us, he desires to do through us. One more time because I don't want you to forget it. What God does to us, he desires to do through us. Yes, and amen. He has blessed us, and we are now called to be a blessing to others, especially to the lost, especially to the hurting, especially to the disconnected, especially to the vulnerable. Here's the truth. We are a hospitable people because we serve a hospitable God. Amen? Amen to that. And as we practice doing this, as we practice opening our hearts, opening our lives, opening our homes to the stranger, to the poor, to the fatherless, to the widow, this is what happens. This is what we're doing practically. We are actually now rehearsing the gospel with our lives. The gospel is becoming more than a thing that we believe and that we say, but it becomes something that we do. We actually match our words with our deeds now. It also shows a reflection of the heart of God to a hurting world. This is where the world sees the people of God more for what we are for than what we are against. And that is a message that the world needs to see from God's people. We will stand for those who are hurting. We will stand for the vulnerable because I was once that. And by the grace of God, I'm not anymore. And lastly, we redeem those who are disconnected and hurting by providing place and space for lost and hurting people to belong and heal. This is huge. I want to read a quote from a book um, real quick. It's uh, by pastor and author. <laughs> I was laughing about this this morning. Joe Thorne, not Joe Horn, okay? Unless you wrote this book under a pseudonym. Um, okay, so a couple, couple paragraphs, a couple short paragraphs. It says this, Throughout history, God has called his people to welcome outsiders into their cities, homes, and lives. Israel was commanded to practice hospitality with their Jewish neighbors, but also to welcome, care for, and bless those who visited their cities. Likewise, the church is also commanded to welcome both believers and unbelievers. Okay, we covered a lot of that. The most practical way in which you should be practicing hospitality is inviting people into your home in order to bless them. It is more than supplying dinner or dessert, but a way of caring for people. Hospitality can provide the context in which you discover the needs of others 
and can develop ways of meeting those needs. But at the very least, you can care for people by providing them with authentic relationships and community in the context of your home. Providing community in the context of your home to get to know someone so you can really begin to minister and and see what their deep needs are. Some of you are saying, that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it is. I have stories I can tell you all day long. There are some people here that have stories I can tell you all day long. It is hard. But why isn't it worth it? Why shouldn't it be worth it? I, I want to I end with a, some things that are going to challenge you a little bit. Now, I'm not your pastor. I'm just a guy coming in here yelling at you for half an hour or so, right? Um, so I get to blast some things out and let Joe pick up the pieces. But listen, I, 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 can't, I can't bring you to this point and not give you something to chew on, to, to really bring to the Lord and say, God, would you please show me through your word, through your spirit, and through your people, what, what, what holds me back? Because God, I, I know you have done a tremendous work in my life. You made me took me from a stranger and made me your family. Lord, what's keeping me from doing that for others? There's some barriers of hospitality I want to help you identify, okay? So as I read through these, um, just do a little self-assessment. Here's the, here's the first one. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. It says this, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The first barrier for you practicing biblical hospitality is your own self. You're selfish. Just admit it. You're selfish. I'm selfish. I am terribly selfish. The longer I've been married, the more kids I, I have five kids. Tell you, every kid I had, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm selfish. You know, because it, 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 they were taking more time away from my wife and resources away from me. And all. I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh, God, really? You know, and so I had to keep going back to the Lord with that. But really, you know what? Our own selves is what gets our, that's the biggest thing that gets in our way. You know, um, we talk about our personal limitations. Oh, this is just isn't a good time for me, this season of life. Um, we have all these excuses. And if we're just really honest, you know what you'll say if you're just really honest? I just don't want to do it. Someone tells me that, I say, you know what? Hey, thanks for being honest with me. That's really the truth. You just don't want to. I'll pray for you. That's the Holy Spirit's job to convict you now. I can't say anything to change your mind. (coughs) But self is the first barrier. It's a huge barrier. The second barrier is this, is margin. And this is a plague, guys, in our culture, our society. Do you typically feel overcommitted? Do you feel too busy? Do you feel like you're living beyond your means? There's too much month, you know, the money in the bank kind of a thing? You know, I mean, is that... I'll tell you what, and it's this time of year, are you feeling even more? Because now you got expectations, supposed to buy stuff for people. Half of these people are supposed to buy stuff for don't really like, you know? And you have all that expectation going along with it. Um, you know, and like you got to run here and there, and you're taking kids, and you're going to this party and that party, and blah, 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 blah. We're tired people. You know what? We're tired because we have no margin in our lives. You know, that's the glory of, of books, right? You know, um, there's a margin around the edge. 
You know, the cool hot thing with Bibles now are these like note taker Bibles. You can like write all these notes and all that kind of thing. So margins are good. If, I mean, if the words blood out to the edge of the paper, you'd be like, oh, God, it's too much for me to read, right? We need margin for some sanity to be able to, to, be able to absorb some things in our life. If you have no margin, you have no time. You, you have no opportunity to bless someone in whatever way, whether it's financially, whether it's with yourself, I mean, whatever. I mean, if you're burning oil from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., that's not good. Some of you need to make some hard decisions about what you do with your kids. Some of you need to make some hard decisions about how you spend your money. Like I said, be mad at me all you want, and Joe will pick up the pieces after this one. But no, this is real-life stuff here. Do you live in such a way where you're not letting God use you in someone else's life? Okay, margin. Third one is prejudice. Prejudice. Right? We don't have a race problem. Found out that's not true. Why, why do you think poverty exists? Really? Why, why, why do you? How, how do you really feel about someone with different skin color than you, coming from a different socioeconomic bracket than you are in, okay? Um, We're all prejudiced on some level. My question to you is this. When you see a person, no matter what they are, okay? I mean, I I live in urban Springfield, okay? I, I live in the first neighborhood north of downtown. This neighborhood was in the tank, you know, for the la- most of the last 50 years or so. And we're trying to bring the neighborhood back. And, but I look around, I walk out my door, and people come coming into my door that are just a mess. And they're trying to figure life out, and, they're, and they look different from me, and they talk different from me. And you know, one mom, that we, her kids are over all the time, and we build, I mean, she, all of her teeth are rotted out. And, you know, I mean, I mean we, we have some choices here. We can judge her and say, I can't believe She'd let herself get into this. Or you say, you know what? She's made in the image of God. Some of the things I see in her and I see in her life, you know what? You know one reason why we don't like that? Because it reminds us of the mess inside of us that we're trying to keep hidden from everybody else. That's where prejudice comes from in a lot of ways. You got to deal with some of this stuff. Do you walk in humility? realizing that you really are no better than anyone else. Galatians tells us if anyone thinks more of himself than what he should, you know, let him just kind of watch out. You know, do do you see the Imago Dei, the image of God in every person that breathes? No matter how young, no matter how old, and no matter what station in life they're in. Prejudice is something you got to deal with. That's a ba- it's going to be a barrier to you. The last barrier is this: is, is your home, the view of your home. How do you view your home? Is your home your castle, where you protect your stuff? Is your home your fortress, where you're just watching out for your family, you you know you and yours? Or is your home your haven? This is my retreat where I get away from the world, where I rest. So don't come and mess with me, you know because of one of these things or a combination of all of them. Now, 
couple of things I want to say to you about this. One, as a Christian, as a Christian, nothing that you owned is yours. You don't own anything. That house, that car, that stuff, you don't own nothing. Because the Bible tells us we were bought with a price. We means all of us. The totality of us. The Bible says all the silver on the gold you know, is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. There is not a thing out there that's not God's that he's just letting people use for a while. So, that's the first thing you need to remember. Because everything is God's and we're just stewarding it for a short time, we better give freely. It's kind of liberating, to tell you the truth. Um, this last summer, another quick story. I don't know how long I'm supposed to go, so I'm just going to keep talking until I'm done. Um, you'll eat lunch soon. Um, this summer, um, we, my, my wife and I, we ran a bicycle club for kids in our neighborhood. So once a week, we'd ride bikes and with, a, I don't know, 12, 14 kids or something like that. And uh, we were getting ready for this big bike ride. We're going to go got a trailer, we're going to a trail, you know, on the other side of town, all this kind of stuff. I get home from work one day, and I pull around the back through my alley, and my garage door is open. And I'm like, okay, um, maybe one of my kids did this. I go in there, I just start scanning, okay? Um, I'm like, oh, they're, okay, I've got some tools here, that's good. Look around, look around, four bikes are gone, Okay, my wife and I got some pretty nice, we got a good deal a couple years ago on some really nice bikes. Those things are gone. Um, something amazing happened, though, in me and in my wife. We, uh, as I'm telling her this, we're like, oh, man, doesn't this stink? But you know what? Not one time did we get angry about it. I mean, we're kind of like, kind of, part of us kind of freaked out, like, oh, we got this bicycle club, we need to get bikes. So we start calling people just to borrow bikes, right? But we didn't get angry because our, someone invaded us and, you know, and took our stuff. I mean, thankfully, the Lord has done some work in our lives that we're holding on to things a little bit more lightly. We just said, you know what? If God wants us to have bikes, he'll get us bikes. He will. It's up to God, you know? And uh, <laughs> the next day, I caught actually one of the thieves, I found out, riding my wife's bike down the street, like, in front of her house. I'm like, really? You're that dumb? Um, so, uh, and then we found another one at a pawn shop and by, we got three out of four bikes back, you know? And then the other one that got stolen, you know, my daughter had another one. She's like, I didn't really care about that one anyway. Um, you know, I mean, but it's, but the whole idea of, de- are you able to hold onto your stuff that loosely? Like, whatever, whatever. If God wants to have it, he'll, he'll replace it. Someone comes to you in need and says, hey, I need some money or I need some clothing or I need some whatever. I mean, do you, how, do you feel like, oh, well, here, well, here, well, here. If God wants you to have it, he'll replace it back. He, he really will do that. He really, when he says he will take care of his kids, God, God really means it. He really means it. Um, the other thing is this about this whole view of your home. Um, especially for you dads out there and husbands. Because I get it. Like, I got a big family and I work hard on my home and I work hard to Provide stuff, all that kind of thing. So I want to protect, you know, I like to have some rest, all that kind of thing. My challenge to you is this. There are people out there 
There are families out there, a lot of single moms and their kids, that go to sleep almost every night not experiencing the protection of, of another person. There are, there are kids going to sleep every night and not being able to sleep well. Kids going to sleep. I've stories I've heard people I know slept with knives under their pillows because they were scared. This is a reality for people out there. So, why couldn't you, for a short time at least, open your home up to provide these families, these kids, with that type of protection that you, only you can do and give them rest that they don't get? These are real barriers that will prevent you from practicing biblical hospitality like it's been practiced to you. Your only hope, your only hope in overcoming these is to take them to the cross, to be honest with them and say, Lord, I know these things are holding me back. I confess, I repent. Thank you for not withholding your grace and mercy from me in the face of them. And help me to let go of these things so I can be a blessing to others, so I can do for others what you have done for me. You've got to take it to Jesus. He has given you everything you need through his word, through the spirit that's in you, and through the community that you are a part of. You can live lives like this and make a real difference in this community in this community. So, you know, I don't know. There might be some of you out there, you're not part of God's family. It's part of you are like, I never, what? And I, how do I? I, want, I need this family. I'm feeling disconnected. You know what? Please come and talk to Pastor Joe. Talk to me. Talk to someone. Ne- I don't know you people, but talk to someone here. Someone can tell you about Jesus. If you are a part of God's family, remember what he has brought you out of and just look for someone around. Join us. I mean, you you can do something. Everyone can do something. Everyone can give. Everyone can, you know, support in some way. Some of you can host kids and family. I mean, everyone can do something, right? You pray for us. All right? God loves you. And it's so evident this season. He loved us so much that he came to be with us, to live the life we couldn't live and to die the death we should have died. So we can now go love others. Thank you so much for your time this morning. And I hope some of you can stick around and talk afterwards. God bless you.